You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. Hey, everybody. Here's another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. I'm your host, Chris Blair. And this week, I sat down with my buddy, Clay Mills. Clay is from the Mississippi Delta, and he used to work the soybean fields with his family. And that's where he really found his love of music early on, just listening to all of the workers out in the field singing the blues. He moved to New York at the age of 19 to write TV jingles, and that's where he got a start doing all kinds of different types of music from classical to hip hop. Um, He's had over 1,500 jingles placed in commercials, uh, TV shows, and more before he even ever got to Nashville. But when he did get to Nashville, he quickly got into country and there's a great story about how that happened. Clay and I go back probably about 17 years or so and he was one of the rare dudes that has been playing the listening room since our original location in Franklin, Tennessee in 2006. Um, Since then, he's had so much success and he dives into all of those stories on this episode including the stories behind the number one hit that he wrote for Darius Rucker, Don't Think I Don't Think About It. Another number one uh, before that with uh, Diamond Rio uh, called Beautiful Mess. Um, He's got over 200 songs that have been recorded, 16 ASCAP awards, a couple Grammy nominations, and so many more. Uh, He's also taken that success and poured into other writers along with his buddy Marty Dotson with their songwriting training Um, through songtown.com. He talks about all of this in detail along with other great stories in this episode. This is Clay Mills. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Blair. We're here with another Stories Behind the Songs. And today we are with Mississippi Delta man himself, Mr. Clay Mills. Let's go. Man, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, dude. This is... uh, (laughs) That you are one of the we were talking right before this starts. You're one of the few that go all the way back to the beginning with the listening room. Yes. Um, so many people think of Cummins Station as like our first location, um, which wasn't until 2008. And yeah. uh, you're uh, you were you were there in the beginning. Man, it was a small place, but it was packed, and it was it was just awesome. Yeah. I have to tell you before we really jump into this today. Um, I just wanted to give you thanks because for as long as I remember, you've been like a champion for songwriters and I know you're a songwriter yourself and to, but you've always reached out to try to help other songwriters and that that's rare. So I just, you know, it's been a big part of the Nashville community that, you know, you support writers and do the shows here at the listening room and, so I just want you to know that we all appreciate it. Dude, that means a lot. A lot. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate that. Um, well, man, let's let's dive in. I always like to start from the beginning. So uh, <laughs> you're from Mississippi. Talk to me about how, uh, how you got into music uh, and what led you to uh, making the move to Nashville. Yeah, I was born a poor, poor boy in Mississippi. <laughs> um, yeah, typical story. I knew nobody in the music business. I grew up, and my grandfather was a farmer, um, grew up doing farm work. And in those farms out in the Mississippi Delta, we had um, day laborers that were out there, you know, chopping the soybean fields and, and driving tractors and and I just thought it was the coolest life. But, you know, I'd be 
walking in a field with, you know, hanging out with these guys that were working all day and they would just be singing, you know? Yeah. I wondered how much, I think in their water coolers, they had something other than just water <laughs> because they were very happy yeah. and it was like, and, and they were just singing. And, and I just look back and I go, man, that's where I learned to sing, you know, it was like in these fields, um, just working. It was, and it was something to pass the time. And, um, so it's always been my, it's always why I had this soulful approach to music, being around those blues singers and, um, my two uncles were in bands, so you know I grew up watching them rehearse, and I just loved it. I yeah. loved, I loved, you know, being on a farm. I loved being in music, and um, it was just always around. Yeah. So then, when, uh, like, when did you decide? All right, I don't want to. I'm not going to pursue this as as farming <laughs> yeah. and, and continuing that and i'm gonna i'm gonna make the move yeah let's be straight i did not ever want to have a life of being a <laughs> farmer that's hard work it dude. is yes <laughs> um but little did i know if you're going to be a songwriter that that's its own type of hard work but yeah. um no when i was 19 i moved to new york city and just trying to get into the music business so somebody placed an ad saying they were looking for songwriters to write TV jingles. So I sent in a tape, they liked it. Um, and I started writing and programming tracks for, um, I don't know if you remember, but when I, you know, I have friends that um, they'll tell me when they were growing up, there was this commercial, it was like, crossfire, you'll get caught up in the yeah, crossfire. Yeah. Well, that was one that I wrote and did all the tracks on. and. Um, so it was like, that's how I got started in music, but it was good training. Cause one day they would say, Hey, we want you to write this classical piece. And then the next day it would be like, we want something that's like more hip hop, you know? And then, and so it was like really good training. And so finally, when I did figure out how to get to Nashville, I was able to sit in rooms with artists and whatever direction they wanted to go musically, I could do it. Cause I had. Yeah. already done it professionally you know yeah so it was it was good training i didn't particularly like writing jingles but it was really good training you know yeah i appreciate it yeah man that's cool i didn't I, we've known each other for probably 17 years or something <laughs> now um I didn't, I didn't know that you you wrote that and yeah. uh and it, I, I didn't even know that part of that you started doing that that's pretty cool yeah i mean looking back like in my ascap catalog there's like 1500 different sync placements from from those years of wow of doing jingles in new york and yeah it was a lot of you know it was a lot of fun and, and being in new york in your 20s you know was crazy fun yeah and then when i think when i was i didn't come to nashville till i was like 32 yeah so it wasn't like i came these days guys come in their 20s but yeah I, you know i came here pretty late yeah so when you uh, when you moved to Nashville, um, like growing up in the fields, um, you know, with with that genre of music, mm -hmm. um, like that soulful kind of thing that you that you grew up on, yeah, um, which which obviously is a huge crossover to like what country is. Um, when you moved here, was it like all right? I'm just going to focus on writing songs for country. Um, well, how it got started is I wanted to be a country artist. Yeah. Or I thought I did. Yeah. So 
when I was in New York, I was doing playing out clubs and building up a following. And a friend of mine was a TV actor and he was coming to Nashville to try to be an artist. And he would meet with, he met with Mark Bright at EMI who, you know, produced Carrie Underwood and all these people. And so Mark Bright heard a demo tape that he brought um, and it had, he goes, who did you write these songs with? And he's like, oh, this guy in New York, Clay Mills. And so the next thing I know, I get a call from Mark. He's like, dude, he's like, Ken's been coming down here for a few years. He goes, these are the best songs he's ever brought. He's like, you know, send me more stuff. So then Mark flies to New York, sees me, you know, perform at a big club there. And he's like, I want to sign you to EMI Publishing. So I was one of these rare dudes that came to town with a publishing yeah. deal. <laughs> I didn't have to beat the streets here. Now, like I said, I was 32 years old, so I beat the streets for a long time. Sure, but yeah. They weren't here in Nashville. Yeah. So Mark brought me to, to you know, Nashville, to EMI, signed me as a writer, we were going to do a record. Um, and then I just got bit by the songwriting book. I was like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, I can stay home, walk down the street to Music Row, write a song, then come home at the end of the day. I didn't have to be on the road. Yeah. And I like that because, I mean, I, I know how hard the road life is. Yeah. So once I found out that I could actually make a living just writing songs and, you know, living a, a halfway normal life like I grew up. I was all in for that. So I just started focusing, you know, and then once, of course, my first deal, once they found out I didn't want to be an artist anymore, they dropped me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I had not proven myself as a writer yet. But, yeah. you know, that's just, it's funny how you, you go those ups and downs. And yeah. Man, our lives are so similar. I, uh, I grew up on a farm. Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of the same. Like, I, I loved it. Uh, I remember uh, I would when I got to the point, I couldn't even sit on the uh, seat and, and and reach the clutch for the yeah. tractor. Yes. But I was like standing up, you know, jumping yes. on the clutch, you know, and like and driving the tractor. My grandma would be on a flatbed that I was pulling and my grandpa was throwing hay bales up. Yeah. And I remember I want his job. Like, <laughs> I want to be that guy. And uh, I'll never forget, like, when I finally, I kept asking, and when I finally was, like, that day that he was like, okay, you can do it, I bypassed the flatbed and went down to it, the, the throw in the hay bales. And uh, I don't know, I was probably 12, 13 years old. And, I, I like, 30 minutes in, I was like, can I drive the tractor again? Um, well, that people don't realize, dude, I tell my friends, I'm like, I started driving, like, tractor the small tractors on our farm when i was like eight years yeah. old like it was crazy insane but it was just what you did yeah yeah it's just part of life yeah. yeah um man that's so cool so so you're uh you you get to town um with a pub deal um so kind of walk me through that progression i mean you've got like over 200 cuts mm -hmm. um several awards several nominations i mean you've just yeah. had so much success and um I, we're gonna get to uh you know I, I years and years ago uh with darius rucker's first uh number one country hit i was in the lobby at bmi and uh got to get to watch you accept that award and him get his award and i want to talk about that in a little bit too but um lead me up like to that moment to like where you got you know your your first 
cut diamond rio stuff like all mm-hmm. of the like just the progression of like how that went yeah like i said ups and downs yeah <laughs> i make this joke that when i moved to nashville my friends kind of threw an intervention party for me to try <laughs> to talk me out of it and i came i had you know i was like i thought i was hot i was EMI Publishing, they got me a cut right away on a new artist, uh, Cleve Francis. Um, He was on Capitol, who was an African-American artist um, back in the day. And I was like, wow, this is easy. And then it was like two years of nothing. And I get dropped from EMI, signed with um, George Strait's publishing company, was there for like two years, nothing going on, they dropped me. Then I signed with CAA, um, the booking agency. They had a publishing company for a while. And I got my first cut. It was a song, Trisha Yearwood, a song called Second Chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, okay, after like five years, maybe I can do this. Like it literally took five. They said it was a five-year town when I moved here. And it literally took about five years to get a major artist cut. And um, then we wrote Beautiful Mess. And I, I tell this story that, you know, my friends would call for five years. They'd be calling me once a month, every other month, and be like, you, don't you want to come back home, get your job back? What are you doing? And when Beautiful Mess went number one for Diamond Rio, I had 33 voice messages, and they all said, dude, we knew you'd make it. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the way the music business goes, you know. Yeah. And so, But that did... Um, having a number one with Diamond Rio did kind of blow the doors open for me where I could write with better people. I could, and, you know, people were more willing to listen to what I was writing. Yeah. Now, it still was, it still took time, you know. And yeah. even between number ones from Diamond Rio to Darius was probably like eight or nine years. So, yeah. yeah it was smaller hits in between. Yeah. Who'd you write uh, Beautiful Mess with? Shane Miner and Sonny Lemaire. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a great song. I mean, that's the music that, you know, I grew up on. You know, well, so. I'll show you a little bit about that song. Um, back now, this was early, probably like 2008. Um, and I came from, said I came from New York. And so I was writing to like drum loops and stuff. And people in Nashville were like, what are you doing? Like nowadays it's commonplace. Yeah. But, but they were like, what are you doing? So um, Shane and Sonny and I were sitting around in a room and Shane was like, yeah, I'm really into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And so I put on this drum loop and we just started, Shane was rapping. He's like, going out of my mind these days. Just kind of like, you know, we, we just fell out laughing. Like it was, you know, just imitating the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I go, wait a minute, what if we put like some chords to it, you know? Going out of my mind these days Like I'm walking around in haze Can't think straight Can't concentrate I need a shade I go to work and I look tired Boss man says, son, you're gonna get fired This ain't your style Behind my coffee Spending all 
this hunger for your love What a beautiful, what a beautiful mess I mean And my son always gives me crap for that song because that morning, he was like two and a half years old, that morning I was putting his shoes on and he looked down and he goes, Dad, you put my shoes on the wrong feet. And so I got in the writing session and Sonny Lemaire throws for the second verse, he throws out this line. Um, see you, Owen. This morning put my salt in my coffee and I just jumped in like, put my shoes on the wrong feet and so my son's like you still owe me royalties for yeah. that line <laughs> i was like no that paid for your college yeah exactly yeah you're paid back yeah man that's so cool um when uh when you're in a room um like do songs kind of pour out that quickly for you mm-hmm. or what's like they do yeah it, it's just crazy like we'll be just be sitting around talking like you and I are talking and somebody will say something, you know? Um, and it'll, and I'll just pick up. I don't know if you've seen one of my shows, but a lot of times I know you have back in the day, but a lot of times now somebody in the audience will say something and then I'll just turn it into a song on stage and we'll start writing everybody on stage in the round, you know, we'll start writing a song, but that's what we do in the room. We, you know, somebody throws something out and just, if it sings well and, and it's got legs. I mean, that's how I wrote. Don't think I don't think about it with Darius. Yeah. 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 Man. uh, I love that. I mean, and when you finish a song, are you one of those writers? that's like, when you leave the room, it's done. Or do you go back and kind of go, especially on those songs that you know are special. Do you go back and kind of like live with it for a while and tweak things? Or when you're done, it's like, it's pretty much there. Um, Well, I mean, let's be honest. We're writing with pro writers every day. Yeah. So by the end of the session, if it's me and another person or me and two other people or whatever, we're by the end of the day, most of the flaws are going to be fleshed out of it. Yep. So typically, I don't really look at songs until maybe I go into the studio to record them. If if we're going to do a demo of something, and then it'll be like a fresh look at it. I go, oh, well, maybe we'll tweak this, but not too often. Yeah. You know? Well, it's worked. It's worked yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Brit Skin Beauty. Located in the beautiful Indulgence Medi Spa in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Brittany is the go-to esthetician for facials, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, waxing, lashes, and any skincare products and consultations. So many people in the music industry use her frequently, and her work speaks for itself. To schedule your next consultation or make an appointment, visit BritSkinBeauty.com or send an email to BritSkinBeauty at gmail.com. So uh, you get you get that sex success on uh, beautiful mess. Uh, then you know, like, like what was that like for you? Like you know, you you get this, um, you know, you had the Trisha cut and you know some other stuff, but the, like, then all of a sudden you're you're watching this song rise to the top. Like, yeah, um, I mean, it's just got to be. It took s- almost a year to get to the top, <laughs> and it went down a couple of times. Man, it was a long, slow climb, but. What I didn't realize 
now I know that the longer it stays on the chart, the more radios playing it and the more money. Yeah, you make. yeah. <laughs> but it was painful. I mean, it's like every week you're opening up Billboard magazine going, where is it? You know, and now you can check it online every day. But back then it was like torture. Like, is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? And so then it went to number one for a week and then it dropped down. And we're like, OK, well, we got a week at number one. But then it went back up. <laughs> yeah. And it was up for like another three weeks at number one. So it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's so cool. But then, yeah, you think at that point, oh, I've got it made in the business, but you don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like, what have you done today? Like what you did yesterday doesn't count. You know, you got to prove yourself every day. Yeah, every and, single day. Yeah. So I, it was probably another few years before I had an, another hit after that. So, yeah. Um, what uh yeah what a few years until the next hit like what what was like the season after that like in between like um were you with the same pub company throughout that time yeah i went i was at caa for a few years and then they decided um they didn't want to do a publishing company anymore so then my publisher clay myers another clay he um went over to barbara orbison's company um she was the the widow at the time of Roy Oberson. Mm-hmm. So I followed him over there and um, I was there for about 10 years and had most of my hits after that were while I was at Orbison. Yeah. It was cool just being in that building and soaking up the Roy Orbison vibes every day. Oh, I can't <laughs> even imagine. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, all right. Well, then let's uh, take let's let's jump to the Darius uh you I've I've heard this story many mm-hmm. times but tell it like I haven't heard anything because like <laughs> I know that uh you got that call you were about to go on the road with Darius to write and you did not know that he was becoming a country artist so, yeah. so walk me through that like you know the, what happened there it's such a great story yeah my publisher at the time he was friends with Darius's manager and just got this opportunity for me to go hop on a tour bus in Kentucky with Hootie and the Blowfish. And so I just knew I was going to go on this Hootie tour for a few days and write with the lead singer. So, I mean, I'll be honest, I was not a Hootie and the Blowfish fan. Not that I didn't like them. It was just, I had come from New York and when they were big, I was into R&B music and So I just missed the whole Hootie thing. So the night before I went out, I like listened to their greatest hits record and I go, okay, well, they they use guitar riffs, they're hooky melodies. Um, And so I kind of came up with some ideas I thought that would work for Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it was so I show up to write with Darius and I climb on the tour bus and I'm like, hey, do you want to hear any music I've written? He's like, no, let's just write, man. He's, he's like right down to business, you know? And um, he goes, um, well, did you, you have any ideas for my country project? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> nobody told me this. Yeah. So yeah, it was like a, a funny, and to top it off, if, you're, if you wanna be a songwriter, guys, don't do this. Um, he asked me, he, he goes, well, what do you wanna write? And I said, Darius, I don't feel like writing today. And you don't tell a superstar you don't feel like writing yeah. the first time you show up. 
But I had learned to always go with how you feel in the room. Go with your feelings that day. So he's like, well, what's going on? I said, well, I broke up with this girl I've been dating for a year. We broke up a couple days ago, and I'm second-guessing myself. And he was like, dude, he's like, we all do that. He's, and I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, I still sometimes think about somebody from, you know, many years ago, wonder how they're doing. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, don't think I don't. And I was like, oh, okay. So I tapped that into my phone. Um, We wrote another song that day, but the next morning I got up, I was like, don't think I don't, don't think I don't think about it. And so then I was just like, and and because Darius, this is where my jingle training came in. Because Darius was, um, came from a band that used guitar riffs. Yeah. I just knew that I needed to have a song that had a guitar riff. To kind of bridge the gap into country. So I woke up that morning and I had this idea. It just came to me like, don't think I don't think about it. Don't think I don't have regrets. Don't think it don't get to me. And I think the first version I played for Darius of that chorus, I said, between the road and the shows and the whiskey. And he was like, nah, he's like, I got another song that talks about the road and the shows. And so I just go, well, how about like the work and the herd and the whiskey, which was better because it, it's more universal sure the, yeah. the audience members are not out on the road right. doing shows so it, it just kind of worked out better but i played him the chorus um and he loved it and we started writing the verse and that's where i pulled out this um, guitar riff and he started singing a melody and we wrote the verses and it was his first number one song it's funny because the song we wrote the day before i thought was the best song and as I was leaving he's like man I think we wrote a hit and I was like yes I I really like that first song we wrote he goes no he goes I'm talking about the one we wrote yesterday don't think I don't think about it and he fought for that song like Mm -hmm. he he um was the one that that fought to make that his first single so wow yeah yeah and like I said earlier I, I remember uh being being there in the lobby of BMI um it was just such a such a cool moment because you were playing this was back when you were playing um you know the franklin stage a lot and um you know we would see each other quite a bit and just to be there it was just man just such a such a cool moment for me um i think i think that was the first number one party that i ever went to wow where like i knew i knew the like knew you as a writer like i knew the writer you know I'd, yeah. I'd gone to a couple others that I didn't really know the writers very well. And, you know, I just remember like, wow, like this is, this is such a cool thing to be watching, watching this guy that I know, like that, that's getting a, getting a record, getting a, getting yeah. a number one. Like, so, um, you know, and, and um, yeah, it was, so for me, it was, you know, <laughs> that, that was, uh, that was a first. So yeah, it was cool to share that moment with you, man. It was cool being there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, what other stories do you have? Like you've you've written you've got another number one that's not country, um, and I guess this goes back to like you know the jingle and uh, jingle days and just you know like 
um, kind of getting into your brain, uh, you know, like, di- like different genres of music that you're going to do and, and all of that. So was that a big part of that training to like, that kind of opened the doors for, for things outside of country as well? Yeah. And even before that, like growing up in grade school, like during the seventies, yes, that's how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> we list, we, I mean, radio had so much variety. Yeah. There was everything from, you know, this, the 70s into the early 80s was everything from Leonard Skinner to Madonna. Like, it was just this weird time. I would literally, you know, I remember going to bars in Alabama and playing shows, and we would start the night off with Hank Jr., and by the end of the night, you're playing literally a Madonna dance song. It was just the way that it was. Nobody really thought, oh, this is country and that's not country. And, you know, I can't believe they put out that song that's not this and it's not that. Like, it, it really wasn't, that wasn't the mentality. We just loved good music, you know. And so it was a lot different time. I think today everybody takes sides on everything from from music to whatever, you know, and it's like, yeah, I, I miss, I got into music cause it brought us all together. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think it still can, yeah. um, but yeah. I agree, you know, it's like, and it seems like, yeah, when there is tragedy, no matter what it is, it's like this, there seems to be like this song that will come out that, yeah. that brings everybody together. I mean, even going back to, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not that far apart in age. Yeah. Um, you know, and I remember growing up, like, you know, Michael Jackson's We Are the World. Oh, you yeah. Know, just like that kind of that kind of thing. That's just like we're it doesn't matter what what you believe or what you do or what like any of that. It's just like, let's let's just all come together. And our Willie Nelson with Farm Aid. Yeah. I mean, he had every style of music yeah. represented. The, the crowds were huge. Yeah. 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 And it was it was all about, you know just helping everyone else yeah yeah great time to grow up (laughs) yeah it was yeah um so all right take me uh you pick take me you've got so many great stories um take me into a writer's room kind of from start to finish on um you know whatever song you want of like like what the process is how'd you come up with the idea um is an idea you had for a while um, coming up with the melody and then even the process after that, like, does it happen quick or did you sit on it for like, is this a song that you wrote five years ago that finally did something or whatever? Um, I think because in Nashville, a lot of times we get into this routine of showing up and writing every day that I never had a backlog of ideas. I never had like things I carried around for five years because if I'm writing today, I'm going to write whatever idea I have there. Yeah. And I'm often pulling things out of the room. Now, the early days, like when we wrote Beautiful Mess, I think it might have taken like three writing sessions to do that. Like we'll write a little bit, go to lunch, come back, write a little bit. Okay, let's get back next week. But we were, we were all kind of, Shane and I were learning what we were doing. Sonny had already written a bunch of hits, but it just took us longer, you know? And I think, whereas with Darius on Don't Think I Don't Think About It, that probably took like 90 minutes. Mm. 
So I, I think it just, it takes, a song takes what it takes. Yeah. Um, and so you have this vision in your head of an idea comes out and you see the end product. And then it's a matter of how long does it take to get to that end vision that you have. Yeah. And so there's no rules. It, it takes different amount of time for, I'm trying to think, um, and anything can spark a song. Like for after Don't Think I Don't Think About It, I got an opportunity to write with Darius and his manager, Frank Rogers, and not manager, um, producer, Frank mm -hmm. Rogers. I'm getting, his manager is Frank too, a different Frank. Um, so I'm writing with the producer and the artist and they play me the album. Don't think I don't think about it. It's going to be the first single and I get a chance to write with them and I go, guys, you know, their album's finished and I do what you you don't ever do again. <laughs> I go, you don't have any romantic songs on the album, Darius. You know, and he was, and Frank and Darius like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, like I, and so we literally, um, Frank had this idea for a title called um, History in the Making. So I just started playing a groove. I just want to look in your eyes and catch my breath Baby, I got a feeling this could be One of those memories The one I hold on to, cling to One that we can't forget Baby, this could be our last first kiss Enjoy to forever Obviously, the whole song didn't pour out but that fast, but once I get started, I can't stop playing. Um, Such a good song, man. But I started off, I think I came up with that first little bit. Don't move, baby, don't move. I look at you, I just want to take this in. I probably came up with that much. And then what I like to do in the writer's room is create a rhythm. So with the melody. Mm-hmm. So that dun, dun, ba, da, 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 that kind of became the foundation to build the, the verse on. And so once we had that, then it's a matter of just putting the lyrics to it and coming up. And, and Darius was thinking about how the first time he ever saw his wife, he told her that he's like, I'm going to marry you one day. And he's, he ended up marrying her. And, you know, and so we were just like trying to write that song about looking into someone's eyes the first time and like this could be the rest of your life basically you know mm. man I love that so yeah I mean it wasn't really um, like I had been carrying an idea around we just showed up and and I had the boss to say you guys are missing something on yeah. your record <laughs> <laughs> um, and they cut it and, and put it on that first record and it ended up being another hit i think it went to number two mm -hmm. like 
almost the, I missed the number one party just barely. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It got, it got good radio play and that's, yeah. that still pays. So okay. yeah, you're, uh, you're doing it right. Um, I want to go back, uh, to working in the fields when, um, you know, like you talked about you, you listened to all of them, like kind of singing the songs and all of that. And that's where you got into mm-hmm. singing. When was it that you started like writing lyrics? Like when did you, when did you first like start making stuff up on your own? And was it like rewriting a song that you knew? Uh, no, when I was nine years old, now living on the farm, I had two uncles in a band. So I was nine years old, I wrote my first lyric and I did not know how to play an instrument. So I went and got this guitar chord book and just saw names of chords and I randomly wrote the chords over the lyrics. And I went to my uncle and I said, hey, can you play this and let's see how it sounds. And of course he was nicest guy in the world and he like attempted to try to help me make up a song with those chords, but the chords made no sense. You know, it was just, um, but yeah. So my first big hit I wrote as a nine year old was don't throw my love in the trash can. So this is for any of you that want to be songwriters, you can start with being awful. You can start, you know, (laughs) just writing the worst song in the world. And eventually you can write a number one song. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, I just, I I never heard that. Uh, I I wasn't sure. So I I, I was curious. I've heard, I've heard so many different ways of like, uh, I think, I think it was Kelly Archer that I was talking to that, um, that she rewrote a song for Mm -hmm. an event that I think was a sad song and they needed it to be happy. So she just took that melody and rewrote it. And that was her first thing. And And that's um, great. That's a great way to learn. Yeah. You know, I teach a lot of songwriting classes and that's, I often have them do that exercise. Yeah. Let's, uh, I think that's a good transition because I want to talk about that too. Like let's, um, let's dive into that. You've, you've had so much success. Um, and, but, but what I love is like, you're one of those guys that has, has dedicated a lot of time to mentor yes. other writers. And it's, it's built this business that, that I want to, I want to make sure that everybody listening is aware of. Cause I think yeah. it's what you've done there is just, you know, um, you've been a champion for the writers in that way. So how did that, um, how did that idea start and, um, and, and tell us about the company. Um, okay. So I would say about 10 years ago, co-writer friend of mine, Marty Dotson, we were just talking at brunch and somebody had come to town that was a friend of his family and had spent like $15,000 on two demos and Mm. signed away all their publishing. And he was like, he just, he goes, I hate that this stuff happens, you know? And so we were like, well, let's, why don't we just start a Facebook page and write every day we'll take turns and we'll write how the music business really should work. Like, you know, for people like that. So for two years, we wrote these blogs, just like calling it, like we see it the way the music business works, you know, um, what it takes to be a songwriter and how the business, you know, watch out for the sharks and, it, it was it just kind of built a following you know we had like 
30,000 Facebook followers. And, and then they started saying, well, why don't you guys teach some classes? So but this was pre-Zoom, so I'm not sure what platform it was, but I just said, okay, well, I'm going to teach a class. And I taught a class Stick'em. on... Stick'em.com, something like that. Something yeah. like that. And it just, you know, but a bunch of people signed up for it, yeah. and I enjoyed it. My dad was a college professor, so... I didn't realize that that's what I would enjoy too, because growing up, you hate what your parents do. You want to be different, (laughs) but I kind of enjoyed it. So we started teaching these classes and then some people were like, well, you guys should put like a website and put videos so we can watch them. So we opened up a website and 500 people signed up right away. And we were Mm. like, wow, this is kind of cool, but it's just kind of grown. We, it's, we have, you know, 4,000 members from all over the world now, from Europe, from India, I mean, from all over. And we, we teach them songwriting. We bring in hit writers from around town. We bring in publishers from L.A., from New York, from Nashville. And it's like a farm system for the music business. Yeah. You know, you want to learn the business. You want to learn the writing craft. It's we teach it all. But anyway, it's called songtown.com. And um, it, we just, Marty and I are not businessmen, so we just kind of backed into it, you know, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's often the best way that things work is when you're not trying and there's just a need for what you're doing. And But, yeah, we love it. Yeah. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been really successful. And, um, yeah, again, I just, it's, it's, you're a great champion for it. And yeah. Everybody and should check it out. When we first started, there were people going, you can't teach songwriting. But I know that I learned how to go from you can't throw my, uh, what was it? Don't throw my love in the trash can to <laughs> to writing, you know, beautiful mess. So I knew I figured it out. Um, and today, like um, Sarah Davis and the artist Gail were Songtown members. Sarah took all our classes. They met in Songtown last year. They had the number one pop song in the world, um, A, B, C, D, E, F, U. I mean, we've had 20-something writers get deals writing number one country songs, number one Texas, Australia. I mean, it's just great. I get to watch other people out there pounding the pavement. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I love it. Um, All right, before before we wrap up... um, do you have a favorite song, whether it's been cut or not? Man, I should have like a stock answer, but honestly, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I like all the songs, you know, they're, they're all your little kids. And yeah, you certainly like the ones that do well so that when I play a show like here at the listening room and the audience is singing along and they got their phones out, you know, and. That reminds me of a, I'll tell you one more story if it's okay. Yeah, please. So I'm playing in Vegas for a writer's night, kind of like what you do here. There's 300 people going to be there that night. It's at the Mandalay Bay. And that afternoon, Jerry. Was this Nashville Underground? uh, Nashville Unplugged. Unplugged, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Benward, yeah. Yeah. And so that day, Darius Rucker, it just happened by coincidence, he's playing outside about 3,000 people out there. And he, Darius is like, hey, come join me on stage. I mean, he's so cool he does that. He yeah. like, 
if I'm around and he's playing, he's like pulls me up on stage. Hey, this is the writer on this song we're going to do. So I played. And then as I was leaving the stage, um, I said, hey, I'm playing tonight. And, you know, inside, why don't you come sit in? And I was just, you know, being nice. I didn't figure he'd show up, but he showed up. And so we're playing History in the Making. And he sings the first verse in chorus. And then I start singing the second verse. And somebody in the audience is filming and with their phone. And so the next day I get this YouTube video and my, somebody forwarded it to me. And it's, you know, Darius is singing. And then I come in and whoever's filming goes, damn, he's better than Darius. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought it was hysterical because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Darius Rucker. So I sent it to Darius. And then I didn't hear from Darius for a while. And I was like, maybe I should not have sent that to Darius. (laughs) I mean, because, yeah, but anyway, no, but it's all cool. I've written with him many times since. Has he brought you on stage since then? Not on stage, but we just haven't happened to be on the same vicinity yeah yeah you got to make that happen so you can get get past that (laughs) one yeah i love that man um yeah i mean it's got to be such a cool feeling i mean i've been writing for for years and years and i've had a little bit of you know success cuts in here and there but uh never been able to experience like a room singing the song back to you and that's just like that's got to be pretty sweet. It could still happen, man. Yeah, it could. And that the the thing is with songwriting, as long as you're swinging, it, you know, keep swinging, you could hit that home run tomorrow. You don't know. Yeah. You know, everything could align. It's really hard to see it, Chris, before it happens. But, you know, I, I, once it happens, you go, oh, it's possible. You know, and you kind of think it's possible, but you don't know in your bones that it's possible until it happens. So I'm just here to tell you that I did. I thought I was the furthest away from. I'd been dropped from deal after deal, but it happened. Yeah, you know. So you never know. Tomorrow could be your lucky writing day. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, I still love to do it. I think you know. I just don't. I don't write that much anymore. Yeah. You know. So you got to put the work in. Yes. Um, and talking about like not you know wanting to do something different than your parents. My dad owned restaurants oh, when we wow. were growing up. So I remember standing on milk crates, washing dishes, and you know like. You, you know, of course, there's no uh, there's no labor law if you're if you're the the owner's yeah, kid, exactly. right? So it's like, you know, I grew up in that environment and learning about the restaurant business. So when I I moved here, uh, another similarity to you, I moved here to be an artist, and yeah. I put three songs out to radio, and I toured, and I lived that road life, um, and then I started writing with you know back in the day, like you know. Dylan Dixon and you know I would like see these guys yeah, like defense at Williams and James Dean Hicks and like all these guys that I would go watch at Tin Roof you know every every Tuesday or whatever and like you I was like okay wait like I can write songs and not live out of these crappy <laughs> motels and uh 12 passenger van and all this stuff so I kind of switched gears but through that started the listening room and um you know it was it really was like i wanted a cool place to be able to sit with my friends and play the songs that we had written and now almost 20 years later i don't write that much anymore because i'm doing this and i absolutely love it yeah um 
but you know, I think it's just, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just the way that, that life takes you. And it's, um, you know, I have no regrets and I, again, I love what I do. Um, but when I do get to break away and get into those writer's rooms, um, it, it just, you know, it, the fuel that it's like, okay, when's the next one? You know, I can't wait to yeah. do it. And that's, uh, you know, as long as you've been doing it, um, I wanted to tell that story cause I wonder, do you still have that? Like, do you, uh, you know, sure you have those days like with Darius where you're just like, I don't want to write today. Um, but do you still just get so much energy out of following a lyric and creating something just so beautiful Yeah, and doing it, doing it still today, every day? Yeah. Now I don't do it every day as much anymore. Um, Songtown has taken over about half of my life. So I yeah. probably write about half as much as I used to. Um, but at this point, I find when I do sit down to write, I'm fresher and I enjoy the process better now. I have better ideas um, just because I'm not grinding it out every single second like before. So, yeah, I love it. Let me ask you one thing. Was your family, did your dad want you to be an artist and a songwriter? Was he for that? He did not necessarily. No, they didn't understand that business. Right. So we are like. So, yeah, yeah. he was like, you know, they were like, you know, uh, there's no you're never there's never going to be success in that. Right. Yeah. He also did not want me to open a, a restaurant, yeah. which is basically, you know, the listening room is not a restaurant in the sense of what we do. But the way that we pay our bills is by being a restaurant. Yeah. So, um yeah, I, uh, when I moved to town, I got a job, uh, as a banker and, um, you know, I've told this story on different episodes, but I would put a suit and tie on and go work at the bank and I would get off of work at five o'clock, go park in the alley of Tootsie's and I played <laughs> Tootsie's five nights a week. Um, That's and, awesome. uh, you know, it got to a point where it was like, I didn't move here to be a banker Yeah, and you know, you know, that was back when we started the listening room and I was out on 96, you know, where the first, uh, location was at five points in Franklin and was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this instead. And yeah, that conversation was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you, you know, you've got a great job. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't like it. I hate it. You know? And, um, so see, that's something I think about our generation is we did have some freedom to pursue our dreams like my I don't know about your parents but my parents generation it was more about getting the respectable job and doing what you had to do to provide for your family and but something about I think my generation when it came along it was like it was okay to go pursue a dream and to and to do something because you really wanted to do it now not everybody did that but I think we had a little bit more freedom to do that. But it's interesting how you end up doing what your dad did. And then now I've been sliding into teaching like my, my dad. Yeah. Did. And I have to say like the, there, there were those conversations of like, Oh man, what are you doing? Like, yeah. You know, but that support was still there. Yes. And yes. they're very they're You know, they're like, look, here's the struggles that, like my dad was like, here's the struggles that I had. And I was in it with him. I saw it. And, um, you know, he's like, I, I worry, I worry about you, but 
you know, there was the, but yeah, if this is what you want to do, I love you and I'll support it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and you know, they even, gave us the freedom and the support at the same time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And even before this, when I was still, you know, playing music all the time and even out on the road doing, doing shows, my mom and dad would drive for hours to, uh, you know, like I, they didn't understand the way that the music business worked. And I mean, even I didn't understand like mm -hmm. back then I didn't, I didn't know. Um, I was just, I was just singing, you know? And, uh, you know, my, my parents would still show up at shows. And, um, I mean, I would, I would jump off stage and, you know, I was doing all these cover songs and I mean, my dad would be right out there at the front. And I mean, he is like no rhythm in the whitest of white. <laughs> and I remember like going up and I'd, you know, he'd jump in the mic and, you know, try to sing songs. And it was like, do, 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 you know, it was just, it was funny, but yeah, the support was always there. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I couldn't have done it without that. Uh, and I appreciated, I think it gave me the perspective to not just jump in head first and think about everything, which mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, like you probably learned a lot watching your dad with teaching too and yeah. what you're doing. But, um, yeah, it, it is, I've, I, uh, I did have that system and, and it was great. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, before. Before, uh, before we wrap up, I, uh, uh, I always want to end on the same question. So I want to get to that, but before I do, are there any other good stories, um, in writing that you want to share within? Not so much about the writing part of it, but when I had a song out years ago by Clay Walker, it was called fall. Yeah. Um, wrote that with Shane Minor and Sonny Lemaire, the two of us that wrote Beautiful Mess together. Well, this was about five years after Beautiful Mess, and it was a big song on radio, and my son's school called. He was in the second grade, and they were, they were like, we want you to come play for his school. And I'm, So he comes home from school that day, and I tell him, I say, hey, I'm going to go play for your school next week. Well, he, I think he fainted. And then, <laughs> and then when I revived him, he, it wasn't quite that bad. But come to find out, none of his friends, he said, liked country music. So me, you know, I'm the good dad. I was like, okay, well, I won't pressure him. I didn't go play for his school. But about a year later, the song was cut by a pop artist, Kimberly Locke. And it, she was going to sing it on his favorite show um, with Simon Cowell and so she comes out she sings it and then Simon's even like that's a fabulous song you know and he doesn't like anything so it yeah. was like incredible and I look over at him and he goes dad you still can't sing at my school you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like but that's, it's a pop version even Simon <laughs> likes it <laughs> so just know if you become a songwriter that has a song on the radio your kids don't always think you're cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just dad <laughs> many years later when he was in college and he texted me one night frantically going hey dad what songs did you write because apparently he was hanging out with someone that liked country music. And so it be I became cool yeah. all of a sudden. I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, dude, it's been so, so good sitting down with you. Um, and uh, I, uh, again, I, I always end with this question. So um, Mississippi to New York to Nashville, uh, everything that you've learned along the way and all the success that you've had, um, 
if you go back to eight-year-old Clay in the fields of Mississippi, what advice would you give yourself today? Oh, man. I have literally never thought about this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would give myself advice because if I go, well, don't worry, you're going to make it one day or then maybe I wouldn't have worked as hard. You know what I mean? I, so to me, I just say take each day as it comes. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to give myself, I mean, it worked out, you know, yeah. I'm lucky it, it worked out. And so, um, no regrets. I love it, <laughs> man. I, uh, uh, I appreciate the friendship. I appreciate the time. It's been, uh, again, it's been really, really cool that you're one of literally like a, a few, um, that's, that's been around since 2006 playing the, playing the original days. And, um, this yeah. is Chris's way of telling me how old I am repeatedly during this interview. See, I can say that though because we're like, like I'm a '70s kid too. So yeah, if I was born in the '90s, I think you could yeah. slap me in the face. But Just um, yeah, man, it's been a it's been a blast. I appreciate it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. You've been listening to Clay Mills. Uh, we'll see you next time. This has been an episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to chrisblair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes. Like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.